0: All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And let's read verses 7 to 14. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. 11 to 14, sorry. It says there, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today, Lord, that you might grant to us, Lord, a greater clarity and a greater confidence that Jesus Christ is the only high priest who can serve as a mediator between sinful man and a holy God, that he is the only one who is able to perfect, Lord, and to make righteous his people so that we are fit to be in communion with you and fit and able to dwell in your presence. Lord, may we see that he and he alone is the source of eternal salvation for all those who believe so that we might have greater confidence, Lord, to draw near to you. So we pray, Lord, that you might teach us today, and Lord, that you might help us to accurately divide the word of truth, and it is in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Well, up to this point in Hebrews 7, the apostle has been comparing and contrasting the priesthood of Jesus Christ to the priesthood of Aaron, right? This is his ultimate aim to show that Jesus is the only high priest who can actually atone for the sins of his people and reconcile sinners to God. And he's proving this by analyzing this interaction that occurred between Melchizedek and Abraham. And in this passage, we remember that there are four persons being compared and contrasted in this passage. There is Jesus Christ, there is Melchizedek, there is Abraham, and there is Aaron. And what is the relationship of these four persons? What does this relationship tell us and teach us about the priesthood of Aaron and the law that accompanied that priesthood and the priesthood of Christ and the law that accompanies his priesthood, right? We show that in this group, Jesus Christ has the place of highest honor. He outranks everyone else in terms of superiority. He is greater than Melchizedek, Abraham, and Aaron, right? After Christ, Melchizedek stands in the next place of superiority, who as a type of Christ is inferior to Christ, but also is superior to Abraham, which was seen in Abraham paying homage to him and paying a tithe to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blessing Abraham. Abraham, we've seen, was inferior to Melchizedek, but is himself superior to Aaron, being that he is the father of Aaron and that the priests all descend from him to whom the promises were were given. And then lastly in this group, is Aaron, who is inferior to all the rest, to all of the others. It is Jesus Christ, then Melchizedek, then Abraham, then Aaron. And if it can be exhibited without any dispute that Melchizedek was superior to Abraham, who is the patriarch of the Jewish nation, upon whom the entire body of the people and all of their blessings and privileges conferred upon them depended, right? Including... The blessing of the priesthood of Aaron and the law given at Sinai to govern their worship. right? If it is proven that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, then this has serious implications for the way that we should view the priesthood of Christ and the priesthood of Aaron, seeing that Christ's priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. If Melchizedek is superior to Abraham, then what does that mean concerning the superiority of Jesus to Aaron and his priesthood to Aaron's? And it shows that Jesus is superior to Aaron, not merely by one degree of separation, but by many degrees of separation. He is superior to him in each and every way. And if he is a high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, not according to the order of Aaron, but according to the order of Melchizedek. And if he in every way is superior to Aaron, then the benefits and blessings of having him serve as our high priest are also superior to anything that Aaron or his descendants could give to the people. Since Jesus outranks Aaron in glory, then his priesthood outranks Aaron as well. So why would anyone prefer Aaron over Jesus Christ. Why would you go to Aaron as your mediator? Why would anyone want Aaron offering gifts and sacrifices for his sins when he can go to a greater high priest, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who can offer gifts and sacrifice for sin? This is what he is proving. Only a foolish person, only one blinded by unbelief, only one who is under the veil of unbelief and ignorance would prefer the priesthood of Aaron and the law accompanying his priesthood to the priesthood of Christ and the law that accompanies his. And yet this is precisely the problem that the Hebrew Christians are facing. They desire to forsake the priesthood of Christ and return to the priesthood of Aaron and to that type of worship that was embodied there in the temple. And so he must prove to them without any doubt that Jesus Christ as high priest is superior to Aaron. And since he has arisen as the high priest over the household of God, then all must pay homage to him. Aaron's priesthood must be set aside. It must be abolished so that Christ alone can have preeminence in the temple of God. And the foundation for the abolishment of Aaron's priesthood And all of the articles that associated or that accompanied that priesthood in terms of the worship of the temple, the foundation for this abolishment was laid in this interaction between Melchizedek and Abraham. This is what he has been proving throughout chapter 7 in that Christ's priesthood is after this greater order, therefore, it is superior, and this is the one that we should look to for the perfecting of the people. Now we'll pick up in Hebrews chapter 7. In verse 11 and now he's drawing out implications of all the things that he has stated so far Hebrews chapter 7 and we'll deal with verse 11 today because there's a lot to say here and then also in verse 12 Hebrews seven eleven. now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood for on the basis of it the people received the law what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. Here, the apostle is bringing to light things that were implanted in the Old Testament. Right? We mentioned a few weeks ago that the Old Testament can be likened to a room that is richly furnished but dimly lit. But the revelation of the New Testament does not bring out of the Old Testament things that were not contained within it, but it gives greater light and greater understanding to these truths. Things that before were dark, were in a shadowy way, were in a more obscure way, gained greater clarity, greater understanding with the light of the New Testament. And this is what is happening in Hebrews chapter 7. He is bringing out these implications concerning the priesthood of Melchizedek in this relationship to Aaron. Putting the pieces together concerning these things, drawing from the Old Testament, but shining light upon these things... So that these truths become very plain and obvious and they are irrefutable. Right? He begins by addressing the purpose of the priesthood. Why was the priesthood instituted by God? What is the purpose of this office of priesthood? And the whole reason the priesthood exists is for the perfection of the people. This is the goal. This is the reason why a priesthood is necessary. Notice what he says. If perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, right, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam was created and maintained his original state before his fall into sin, before he transgressed and fell into that sinful state, Adam was not in need of a mediator. He had direct communion with God because there was nothing that was creating animosity and hostility between Adam and God, between the creator and the creature. Before Adam sinned, he did not go to a high priest and draw near to God through that high priest who represented him to God. The necessity of the high priest came as a result of the entrance of sin into the world. In the sinful state, Man cannot worship God. Man cannot approach God. He cannot draw near to God on his own. But he must come to God through a mediator, through a high priest. We remember Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Hebrews 5, verse 1 tells us what the purpose of the high priest is. What is it that he does? What is his function? Why is he necessary? Hebrews 5, 1. Every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is appointed on behalf of sinful men in order to offer gifts and sacrifices for sinful men to remove the barrier of sin so that sinful men can draw near to God, can be in the presence of God. The office of high priest relates to sacrifice for sins. This is his chief function. His chief duty is to offer gifts and sacrifice for sin. It is sin that has made a separation between us and our God. So if man is to have communion with God, then there must be atonement made for his sin. There must be the purification of the people through the shedding of the blood of a sacrifice. In order for the people to approach God, they must be perfected. They must be sanctified. They must be purified. There must be the perfecting of the people. And this is the sole duty, the primary chief duty of the office and role of high priest. So that the people through his ministry are purified from their sins and are made righteous and acceptable in the sight of God. This is what we need if we are going to draw near to God. We need a high priest who can make us perfect, who can remove all of our unrighteousness and make us righteous before God. Because only a purified people, a sanctified people, only a perfected people are acceptable to God. Only those who have been cleansed of all of their sins through the service of the high priest can be received into God's fellowship and dwell in his presence. This is why the high priest is necessary for the perfecting of the people. Psalm chapter 5, Psalm 5 verses 4 to 5. Psalm 5, 4 to 5, says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. There, the evil cannot dwell with God. No evil can dwell with God. If a man is 99% pure and 1% evil, is that man fit to dwell in the presence of God? No, of course not. But in our case, in our sinful state, are we 99% pure and only 1% sinful? No, we are 100% evil and there is no purity within us. So how can those who are evil dwell with God? Their evil must be taken away. It must be removed from them. They must be purified. They must be perfected. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13 says, your eyes are too pure to approve of evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor, right? And again, in our natural state, we are evil. In our natural state, we are wicked people. So how can God, whose eyes are too pure to approve of evil, how can he look upon us in a favorable way, in an acceptable way, receive us kindly into his presence? We must have our sins taken away. These things must be removed and the people must be perfected in the sight of God. Also, Job, Job 25, Job 25 verses 4 to 6. Job 25 verse 4 says, How then can a man be just with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of a woman? If even the moon has no brightness and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man, that maggot, and the son of man, that worm? How can man be just before God? How can he be righteous in the sight of God? How can the man born of a woman, born into a state of sin, how can he be clean in the sight of God? That is the ultimate issue the Bible is addressing. How can sinners be right in the sight of God, just in God's sight, righteous in his sight? It is not through works of righteousness. Works of righteousness cannot make one clean and cannot perfect a man. It is not through a man's own efforts. It is only on the basis of atonement. This is the only way that a man can be made clean in the sight of God, only through sacrifice for sins. And if there's going to be a sacrifice for sin, then who must perform that sacrifice? Can the man, the sinner, do that for himself? No, he has to do it through who? Through a high priest, through a mediator who offers the sacrifice on his behalf. So which high priest has the ability to perfect his people? Which priesthood can actually atone for the sins of the people? Which priesthood can purify them of all righteousness, can make them righteous and acceptable in the sight of God? A priesthood that cannot perfect the people is weak and it is useless as to this end, right? If the goal of the priesthood is the perfection of the people and there is a priesthood that exists, but it cannot bring about this goal, it cannot perfect the people, then what good is it, right? What purpose does it serve as to meeting this end or this goal? Notice what he says in verses 18 and 19. Hebrews seven eighteen says, "'For on the one hand, "'there is a setting aside of a former commandment "'because of its weakness and uselessness. "'For the law made nothing perfect.'" And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God, right? There is a former commandment. This commandment established this Levitical priesthood, but can that priesthood make the people perfect? No. So what does he say it is? It's weak and it is useless. It does not actually achieve the purpose of the priesthood. Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 Notice in verses one to four, what he says, for the law, since it only has a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of the things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sacrifices, the priesthood, the temple, all of the service associated with that worship under the old covenant, those are shadows of the good things to come. But can those shadows bring about the reality? Can those shadows actually make the people perfect and actually atone for their sins? And he says, no, it's impossible for those things to happen. There is not a single person in the history of Israel from the institution of the Aaronic priesthood until its end that ever had his sin actually atoned for through the ministry of Aaron and the other priests that descended from him. The ministry they performed, the sacrifices they offered, the altar where they served, the person of the high priest, all of them were weak and useless as to the perfection of the people. They never one time in the entire history of Israel perfected a single worshiper through the animal sacrifices that they offered for 1400 years. That priesthood existed for 1,400 years and they offered millions upon millions of sacrifices. Gallons upon gallons of blood was spilled in the temple over the course of those 1,400 years and how many sins did the blood of those animals ever wash away? Zero sins. They never washed any sins away. They could not bring about the perfection of the people. In order for people to draw near to God, they must be made perfect. And in order for them to be perfected, a sacrifice must be offered on their behalf that can actually take away their sins. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. And what did Aaron and his sons offer? All they offered ever was the blood of bulls and goats which is impossible to take away the sin of the people. And if the sin of the people are not taken away, then are the people perfected through those sacrifices? Absolutely not. It is impossible for these things to happen. The Levitical priests could not atone for the people's sins. Now, all they could do was be a representative. representative. They could serve as a symbol or as a type, but they could not effectually, or actually atone for the sins and perfect the people. And then we ask, then what is the purpose? Why did God institute them? Right? If they can't perfect the people, and that is the goal of the priesthood, then why did God institute a priesthood for 1,400 years who served on earth, but who could not actually accomplish this goal and this end? And Galatians chapter four tells us why. Galatians chapter four, Verses 1 to 11. And it is, again, necessary, and this will be dealt with uh, many times in the book of Hebrews, this relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the time before the coming of Christ, and what were the purpose of the law, and why these things were instituted. Galatians 4 verse 1 says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father." Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you for perhaps I have labored over you in vain. There he says that this child, during his childhood, though he is the heir of all things, is put under the tutelage of guardians and managers until the date set by his father, until his day of maturity. And in that way, under the old covenant, the church, the people of God, were under guardians and managers until the maturity was brought about. And when did the maturity come? In the fullness of time. When God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is the date of maturity. And when the child reaches maturity, what happens to his guardians and managers? They're set aside. They're no longer needful. They're no longer useful anymore. The law was given in the priesthood of Aaron was given as a tutor, as a custodian, as a guardian, as a manager until the day of reformation. And that priesthood was valuable as a teacher and as a guide to lead the people by the hand to the priesthood of Christ. Galatians 3.24 says the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith, right? As a tutor, the law is beneficial to us to lead us to Christ. But as the source of perfection, the law is weak and it is useless because it cannot produce these things. And it was never intended to produce those things. And for that reason, the priesthood of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, it must be temporary, and everything associated with it must be temporary because it cannot perfect the people. Because it cannot perfect the people, it cannot be a perpetual, it cannot be an eternal priesthood. Because if it remained perpetual and eternally, then what would be true of the people? They would remain in a state of imperfection and they would never be fit to be in the presence of God. The weakness of the Levitical priesthood The inability of that priesthood to perfect the people shows the necessity of a greater priesthood, right? Of another priesthood that can actually atone for our sins, that has the ability to actually perfect the people. But this priest cannot come from the same order. He cannot come from the house of Aaron. Otherwise, it's just going to produce the same results. He must be of a different order right? If he is of the house of Aaron, of the order of Aaron, then he's simply going to produce an imperfect people. He must be of a greater order. He must be severe, superior to the Levitical priest in every way. A priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, who serves not in the tabernacle on earth, but in the one that is in heaven, the one not made with human hands who offers not the blood of bulls and goats that can never take away sins, but who offers his own precious blood that can actually atone for the sins of the people and bring about and produce their perfection. And when that high priest is revealed, when he arises, then what needs to happen to the Levitical priest? He has to go away. He has to go by the wayside. There's no purpose for him anymore. His purpose, as we read from Galatians 3.24, is to lead us to Christ. But once he leads us to Christ, he has served his purpose, and there's no longer any reason for that priesthood to exist. Now, one point of clarification in this. The apostle is not saying, and we are not saying, that no one before the coming of Christ, before he assumed the role of high priest, we're not saying that people couldn't be saved back then, that they couldn't be made righteous and that they could not be perfected. We know in the Old Testament that there were many people who were saved. There were many peoples whose sins were atoned for, who were perfected, who were received into God's presence. Hebrews chapter 11 chronicles an entire list of people of both men and women who were men and women of faith and who were acceptable in the sight of God. We read earlier from Hebrews 12.23 that speaks of the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And that no doubt includes the spirits of men like Noah, like Abraham, like Samuel, like David, like the prophets. So there were people who were saved in the Old Testament and there were people who were perfected and were made righteous. The question is not whether those who lived before the Incarnation Before the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, before he assumed the office of high priest, the question is not whether they were perfected or if they were made righteous. The question is always, how were they perfected? What was the source of their being made righteous? Noah, Abraham, Samuel, David, the prophets, all of them obtained a standing before God. All of them had the forgiveness of their sins. All of them were made righteous in the sight of God. The question is how? What was the source of their righteousness? What was the source for the forgiveness of their sins? Were they perfected by the blood of bulls and goats? For example, David, who lived under the ministry of the Levitical priesthood who went to the temple or the tabernacle throughout his life, who brought sacrifices there, was his sin atoned for by those animal sacrifices? Was he perfected and made righteous through the ministry of those Levitical priests? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Sinners in the Old Testament could be saved. Salvation was possible, but not through the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests could never atone for their sin. Their hope was not found in the law, and it was not found in the Levitical priests. It was not found in the blood of bulls and goats. Their hope was founded upon the promise of God, that in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And while they waited for the promised seed, they were kept under managers and guardians in the law. And one of those managers and guardians was this Levitical priesthood that could never make them perfect. They were kept under the plethora of commandments that associated or came with that priesthood that related to food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body. But all of these things were mere shadows of the good things to come, but they were shadows that could never purify or perfect the people. And in this passage, he's proving the weakness and the uselessness of both the Levitical priesthood and the law that accompanied that priesthood. That these things could not produce the spiritual reality of what we need to actually be acceptable in the sight of God. Notice there in verse 11, he also says, if perfection was through the Levitical priest, for on the basis of it, the people received the law. Here, there is, and likely in your translation, that is put in a parenthetical statement. For on this basis, the people received the law. And here, the apostle is making a connection or a correlation between the Levitical priesthood and between the law that was received by Israel that came through that priesthood. The people received the law in conjunction, in relationship, he says here, on the basis of that priesthood. So if the priesthood cannot make the people perfect, then neither can the laws that accompanied and regulated the worship of God under that priesthood. Both the priesthood and the law received on the basis of that priesthood, all of them are weak and useless as to the perfecting and making righteous of the people. Now, let me be again very clear in what we're saying. I'm not saying that the priesthood of Aaron and the law given to Israel at Sinai are weak and useless. The apostle is saying that they are weak and and, useless, and that they are ineffectual in actually perfecting the people. Again, notice what he says in verse 18. 718. For on the one hand, there is the setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. Again, he means it as the source of salvation, as the means used to perfect the people. The law is weak and it is useless in actually bringing about and producing righteousness in men. The law was never given to Israel so that by that law they could perfect themselves, so that they could produce a righteousness through their own efforts, through their own obedience that would make them acceptable in the sight of God. The law can never make a man acceptable in the sight of God because this is not the purpose of the law. No man will ever be acceptable to God on the basis of law keeping by his own works of righteousness. And this is not because the law is defective, but the law comes to men, and what are those men? They're defective, right? The problem lies not in the law; the problem lies in the men who have received that law. It says in Romans seven twelve that the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous. And good. The law is holy because it comes from God. It is holy, righteous, and good. But that holy, righteous, good law does not come to holy, righteous, good men. It comes to men who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so because the law is weakened by the flesh, it is never able to produce the righteousness that it mandates, that it requires in order to be acceptable in the sight of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. Romans 8, verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God had to do what the law could not do, God had to perfect us. God had to make us righteous because the law was unable, ineffectual in producing righteousness in men. And this is because of the weakness of the flesh. The priesthood of Levi and the law that was given, all of that was for the purpose of increasing our transgression, to show the people the reality of sin and the severe judgment of God against sinners. The entire purpose of the Old Covenant is to manifest sin and God's judgment against sin, to prove that perfection cannot come from human effort, but it must come on the basis of God's mercy. And this is why the apostle refers to the Old Covenant as a ministry of death and as a ministry of condemnation. Because if men rely on the old covenant for their justification, for their salvation, what will they always receive? Death and condemnation. Because it requires perfect obedience to God in order to obtain life, but it is coming to sinful men who cannot perfectly obey God, and it will only result in death and condemnation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians three verses seven to 11, here is where the apostle refers to that covenant as a covenant of death and of condemnation, a ministry of death and condemnation. And this is what, in part, the Levitical priesthood, this is what they were doing. It was a ministry of death and condemnation, because in their ministry, there was a reminder year after year, of what yeah. of sin. In the inability of these sacrifices to actually take away their sin. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 11. But if the ministry of death, in letters engraved on stones, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even with more glory? For the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. The ministry, he calls it, of death, the ministry of condemnation. Yes, it did come with glory, but that glory was fading away. And that glory is surpassed by the glory of another, by the glory of the ministry of the spirit and the ministry of righteousness. The old covenant produces death and condemnation for all who rely upon it in its ministry for their perfection, right? The priesthood of Aaron does not bring about the righteousness of the people. And if people rely on that priesthood, For the basis of their standing before God, they will only receive death and condemnation on the day of judgment, right? It is abundantly clear. It is crystal clear that all who rely upon the Levitical priests and all who rely on the law associated with that priesthood as the source of their salvation, as the basis for their acceptance before God, all of them are under a curse and they will receive nothing but death and condemnation. Galatians 3:10 says, for as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And in Romans 3:20 it says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No one will be justified through the law. Only the knowledge of sin comes through the law. And this is why the Old Testament predicted the institution of another high priest. That many years after the establishment of the Levitical priest, that there would be another priest who would arise who would come from Israel, who would be of another order, who would be of the order of Melchizedek, who would be an eternal high priest. And that is the one that we should look to. We should put our hope in him. Again, see argument in Hebrews 7, 11. If perfection was through the Levitical priest, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek? and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. Again, he's pointing out things that are there, that are obvious, that are clear, clearly taught in the Old Testament. If the Levitical priest could actually atone for the sins of the people through the gifts and sacrifices they offered on their behalf, if their ministry actually resulted in the perfection of the people, in the people being made righteous in the sight of God, then they themselves would be fulfilling the role for which the priesthood was established. In salvation, justification, righteousness would be through that ministry. But the Old Testament speaks of another priest who would come. And the reason it speaks of this another priest is because it's obvious that these priests are not able to perfect the people. They cannot produce salvation and righteousness in them. It's the same argument as Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. Hebrews 8, 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. If the first covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai, the old covenant, if that covenant was faultless, if it was able to bring salvation, then would we need a new covenant? No, of course not. But does the Old Testament speak of a new covenant coming in the later days? And that it speaks of a new covenant shows us that there's something defective about this old covenant, that it is faultless, it's not faultless, it is weak and useless in actually perfecting the people. The old covenant in the priesthood that administered that covenant among the people, it was without Fault. If it was without fault, if it was without weakness, if it was actually able to save the people, then there would be no need for a new covenant and there would be no need for a priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. All right? As it says in Galatians 3.21, if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. If this existed hypothetically. If there was a law that could impart life to men, then that's where our salvation would be found. It would be found in that law. If the Levitical priesthood and if the law connected with that priesthood could bring about life in men, then that's where we should go for salvation. We should go to that law and we should go to that priesthood. But if this were the case, then why do the prophets speak of another covenant? Why do the prophets speak of another high priest, not after the order of Aaron? If perfection can be secured for the people through the ministry of the Levitical priests, then why do the prophets speak of another priest who is not of the order of Aaron, but is is of the order of Melchizedek? He would not be needed if perfection came through the Levitical priest. He would be completely unnecessary because that perfection of the people would have already been accomplished if indeed it could be obtained through the Levitical priest. But it is without doubt, without refutation, that the prophets do speak of another priest who would come from the order of Melchizedek, who was not designated according to the order of Aaron. And that they speak of this priest proves that perfection cannot be obtained through the Levitical priest. And who is the prophet who spoke of this high priest? It is the prophet David in Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, David speaks of the Messiah, of the Christ, his Lord. And he mentions there that this Lord is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he spoke those words. After Sinai, after the establishment of the Levitical priest, after the construction of the tabernacle, after that tabernacle had been relocated to Jerusalem, during the height of its glory and of its honor, the prophet, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks of another priesthood established by God, not on a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, David says in Psalm 110 verse four. Why is David talking about these things? Why is God indicating these things? What is he signifying when David speaks of these things when they already have a priesthood? Why are you talking about another priesthood when we already have the Levitical priest? Because they cannot Perfect the people. And this is why there is the need of this greater high priest to come. And it is this high priest, and it is the sacrifices and gifts that he offers, it is the ministry that he performs for his people that will be the source of their perfection. Only he can make us acceptable in the sight of God. Perfection for sinners can only be found in the great high priest who is passed through the heavens, who is Jesus, the Son of God. That is the issue that is at stake. Where can perfection be found? Where can sinners go to have all their sins washed away? Where is the source where unrighteous men can be made righteous in the sight of God? Can we go to Jerusalem and seek these things? Can we go and build another temple just like Solomon's temple? and find some Jews uh, and make Levitical priests who can come and offer bulls and goats and shed their blood? And can we go to those things and be made righteous and perfect in the sight of God? Absolutely not. This is how pervasive our sin is. This is how depraved we are. This is how wicked and evil sin is. This is how hopeless and helpless we are. That even this priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, even the temple, the temple of Solomon with all of its glory, even the sacrifices which were offered there. And none of these things were the invention of men. All of those things were instituted by whose command? They all were instituted by God through the prophet Moses, institutions and ceremonies that had much outward glory associated with them. And yet even during the days of David and Solomon, even in the height of the glory of that temple, accompanied with such beauty and with such honor. Yet even there in Solomon's temple, there is not one single sinner who was ever made perfect. There's not one single sin that was ever atoned for through that ministry. Showing us with absolute clarity and certainty that our salvation Our deliverance, our perfection cannot come from this earth. It cannot originate on earth. The Levitical priests cannot bring salvation because all of them come from the same corrupted root that we all come from. They all share a common pollution of sin from our father, Adam. We need a high priest who is holy. We need a high priest who is innocent. We need a high priest who is undefiled, who is separated from sinners, one who is exalted above the heavens. We need a high priest who comes down to us out of heaven above, the Son of God clothed in human flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the only one. Only he can save to the uttermost those who believe in him. He is the one that can perfect us and make us righteous so that we are acceptable in the sight of God. We must look to Christ alone and trust him alone. He is the only source of righteousness where imperfect men can be perfected so that we might be received into communion with God and have a hope of dwelling in his presence for all eternity. It says in Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this is what all sinners must say. Where shall our help come from? Where is the hope for sinful men, for imperfect men, for unrighteous men? Where is the high priest who can atone for our sins, who can serve as a mediator between God and man? Well, it must come from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It must come from above. And this is where our Lord Jesus Christ came from. He descended from heaven. He came down to us. He took on our human flesh and he has been exalted as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And it is only his priesthood that can perfect the people. And if people go to another priesthood, they're gonna be sorely disappointed. It will only bring about death and condemnation. But if we go to Christ, it will bring about righteousness, and it will bring about life and salvation. So then let us put all of our hopes upon Christ and upon Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, recognizing that there is no help for us. There is no salvation. There is no righteousness. There is no forgiveness of sins, no atonement. Lord, no perfection found on this earth for sinful men. Lord, there is no source here on this earth where we might go and have all of our sins washed away and be made righteous in the sight of God. But Lord, we thank and praise you that what we could not do for ourselves And what could not be found here on this earth, Lord, you have done for us by sending your son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for our sin, you condemned him in the flesh so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Lord, you are the only one who can make unrighteous men righteous in your sight, who can make imperfect men perfect. And Lord, we see that it is only through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only him as high priest. Only him serving in the temple. Lord, not made with human hands, but the one that is not of this creation. Only with him offering, Lord, not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own precious blood in your very presence. This is the only way that we can be made right in your sight. With him on our behalf, we know that there is no longer any remainder of sin. And so, Father, we cling so closely, Lord, with such boldness and confidence to your promises that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we know that he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he and he alone is able to make us fit to be in your presence. Lord, we thank you for this and we pray that, Lord, this knowledge of salvation that you have granted to us, Lord, that it would be too wonderful, Lord, for us to even begin to to contemplate these things. Lord, why would you be so gracious, so merciful, so loving to sinners who deserve nothing but your wrath and condemnation? Lord, we are, as we read earlier, nothing but a maggot and a worm before you, creatures who have risen up in rebellion against their creator. And that you would send your own son to reconcile such worthless men, worms and maggots, and to make us into sons of God. Lord, truly, this is a a glorious gospel. Lord, we see how much more glory is associated with this covenant and with this mediator and with this salvation than was there under the old. And so, Father, we thank you that what you taught and what you predicted in the old covenant, Lord, you have brought to its fulfillment in the new through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we are the sons of the covenant and that, Lord, these things you have granted to us freely and you have given us a hope of eternal life. Lord, may we live according to these truths. And, Lord, since the goal of the priesthood is to perfect the people, And Lord, we have not obtained that absolute perfection yet in terms of our daily life. Lord, we pray that you might continue to sanctify and to purify us of all unrighteousness. And that, Lord, we would strive for that goal until the day in which we see our Lord face to face and we are conformed perfectly to his image. Lord, we thank and praise you for these things. May we worship you all the days of our life. Lord, always giving thanks to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen.